0: Heavenly Father, we look to you right now. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, everything we just sang is so true, and I pray that it would come to pass this morning. Lord, I pray that every heart here would look away from themselves and that we would look to you. Lord, please grant us the ability by your Holy Spirit and through the truth that we're going to look at in your word to do this, to look away from self, our own efforts, our own strivings, and to look to everything that Christ has done. Lord, we commit this time to you. We thank you that you are the risen Christ who is alive, who has poured out his Holy Spirit, and who lives to save people and to speak to his people and to give us real leading and guiding and the help that we need for every moment of our lives. Thank you for being such a good God and Savior, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. You guys can have a seat. If you have your Bibles, please grab them and go to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. As most of you know, we are going to baptize some folks here this morning, which is why several of you are, are visiting with us. Um, Usually, I would think that a tank on stage would also be a giveaway, but when you've got a barn and a tractor and an outhouse up here, it might you might think it's just part of the decor. Um, but we are excited about this morning um, because what we're going to do when we baptize these folks uh, is that that act itself is something that Jesus commanded us to do, and that act in itself is, is a preaching of the gospel, in a sense. That Jesus came, that we might be united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And as a church, in 2023, uh, we're walking through the book of Romans, and just by God's providence, um, we honestly didn't, didn't plan this, but by God's providence, where we're at this morning is the first several verses of Romans chapter six, which speak about this very thing, which speak about us being baptized and buried with him through death in order that we might walk in newness of life. So let me read the passage that we're going to be looking at here this morning. I'm actually going to go back to the very end of Romans chapter 5 and start in verse 20 because that's important for the flow of thought that Paul wants to communicate under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. And then I will read through verse 11 of chapter 6. So Romans 5, starting in verse 20, says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means! will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Would you just bow your heads and pray with me one more time. Lord, we look to you. Please open the eyes of our heart that we might see wonderful things Your word. Um, We truly ask for your help this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would give me words to speak in the moment that I need it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, this is a very important passage of Scripture. All of the Word of God is inspired, um, but there are, to be sure, uh, mountaintops and pinnacles of the Scripture, and this is definitely one of them. Um, uh, For those of you that attend Mercy Hill regularly, you know, many people throughout history have compared the book of Romans to the Himalayas, and so there are many different, different mountaintops, and this transition here at the end of five and into the beginning of six is definitely uh, one of those. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, again, I've shared earlier, had years ago, um, preached over 360-some sermons through the book of Romans. Uh, But he put off preaching through the book of Romans for many years because he wasn't exactly sure that he understood Romans 6. Okay, And I say all that because um, there are some things in here that can be difficult to understand to our natural minds, and yet Paul wrote it and the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it to help us. And so while yes, it can be difficult to understand, we can understand it as we look at it, as we follow the flow of thought, and as, as we ask the Holy Spirit to help, us, to help guide us through it. So in order to help us do that, I just want to be very straightforward and tell you kind of where I'm going this morning, and I just want to kind of do uh, my best with God's help to just walk us through, us through it, and I just want to show you what the text says because we believe that this is the inspired Word of God. Um, it is perfect and it is helpful, and it is profitable for everything that we need uh, in this life. And so here's kind of the, the three kind of step outline that I just wanna walk us through this morning. Number one, I just wanna look at the end of Romans five, and I just wanna look at what he said, what Paul said. Then I wanna look at his response to what he just said. And then I wanna look at the explanation of his response to what he just said. Are you confused? Hopefully it'll be helpful. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. Um, What he said, the response to what he just said, and the explanation to his response about what he just said, okay? First of all, what did he say? He makes a very, 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 very strong statement in verse 20. Look at it again. He says, the law came to increase the trespass, but, and this statement right here, if you get this, and if you don't make it mean something else, this statement of what it actually says will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but here it is, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let me say it again, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do you guys know what a double superlative is? Double superlative? It's not not a curse word, um, but it sounds like it kind of, but it's something, like in many times, you know, kids as they're learning English, some of us as adults, still have really bad English, but we we tend to kind of like make up words sometimes. So like to say to, so to say something is is the most best is a double superlative, right? Or it's the most awesomest. It's when you usually put best and then the ending of a word of uh, est at the end of something. It's a double superlative, and it doesn't really make sense. It's not proper like um, in English grammar. But sometimes we, we say things like that to try to emphasize the point of how great and how awesome something is. Or like um, you know maybe with with like little kids. I know when our boys were younger, it's like I love you this much, and they say no, Daddy, I love you this much. And then we say, I love you even more than that. And then eventually you get to the place where where one of you sometimes might say, like, I love you to infinity. Right? I love you the most. This is this is literally the idea of what Paul is talking about here in regards to the grace of God. This word for abounded in the Greek is peruso. Okay, perusu'o. And Paul puts this, this, this prefix on the front of it, this, this prefix "hooper" in the Greek, which is where we get our word hyper, and it's, so it's the word hyperparasuo, hyperparasuo. Now here's the thing though, parasuo already means to be overflowing. It's not a cup that is filled, it's a cup that is filled and then you're not paying attention and you just continue to fill it and it's just, it's overflowing. That's what parasuo already means. But then Paul puts this prefix on the front of it and he says hyperparasuo. That it's overflowing and it's overflowing the most and the bestest that it possibly can. What is overflowing the most? What is overflowing to this place where Paul is literally making up words to describe what? To describe the grace of God. Do you understand this? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What Jesus Christ did on the cross is greater than the sin that you brought in here this morning. It is greater than the sin of the world. That Jesus took all the darkness of humanity, being an eternal being, very God of very God from all of eternity past, never created, but one with the Father from all of eternity. He came and he put on flesh in the incarnation and he took the sin of the world upon himself. And if if you simply put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which is the message of the gospel, it's what Paul has been hammering all the way through these first five chapters of the book up until this point, is that the salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that if you put your faith and trust in him, then this grace that abounds, that hyper abounds, that super abounds, it is for you, brother and sister. It is for you. And if you understand that it is this grace, which again, if you go back in Romans chapter five at the beginning of the chapter, he says, "It is this grace that superabounds, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It is this grace in which we stand, that we will not be moved from it because of our union with Him." Now, when you begin to make bold statements like this, people are going to have questions. they will. People are going to have questions. They have questions about it today, and they had questions in Paul's day, which is why, secondly, not just looking at what he just said, this strong statement about grace, but how he responds to what he just said. And the way he responds to what he just said is the response that he was getting from many people as he preached this message of radical grace. This message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is not a response that that is new to Paul. This is something that he heard all the time as he would preach this message of abounding grace that is found in Christ Jesus. And he frames it as a question at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. Look at the text. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now do you understand the logic of what he's saying? Paul, you're saying, wait a minute, where sin increased, grace abounds all the more, like you just, you just can't out-sin, the, like sin is increasing, but grace is just always covering it if you're in Christ Jesus. Paul, that can't actually be true, because if that's true, then we're just, okay, well then let us sin some more, that grace may abound, right? That's the question, and it seems like that might be the implication, but Paul's going to answer it emphatically, that that is not the case. Look at the text. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Look at the answer, and then he's going to explain the answer. What's the answer? Do we just continue in sin because this grace just abounds? Can we just go out and do whatever we want? What is his answer? By no means. Absolutely not. We do not just continue in sin that grace may abound. Jesus Christ came to destroy sin. In the world and in us, how can we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means. But now, again, look at the text. Look at the text. Because let me tell you the way most of us read the explanation to what Paul says here. Most of us kind of insert our own logic into it. And we kind of read it something like this. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And then we say something like this. Because don't you know that you only get 100 chances? Or are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Don't you know that you only get 400 redos? Or are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Don't you know that you only get 1,349 mulligans? Which, by the way, is how many I need when I play golf. But it's not what it says. Notice he doesn't say, Are we to continue in sin the grace may abound? By no means do you not know that the, gr- the grace of God w- it will cover sins like, like greed and like pride, but it won't cover sins like addiction. Or are we to continue in sin the grace may abound? By no means do you not know that it, it, it covers sins like self-righteousness uh, but not sexual immorality? That's not how he explains it. He says that this grace abounds. And that's it. Because what Jesus Christ did on the cross is greater than the sin that we bring to him and ask him to forgive. And his grace is always going to abound. But he says, by no means, how can we not live in it? Here's what he says happened. Something else happened. At the moment of your salvation, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, to be saved when you stand before Almighty Almighty God someday. At the moment of your salvation, something else happened that you might not have been aware of. There is a part of you that died. That's his answer. And I'm telling you folks, this will change absolutely everything when you understand this. One of the things that I do from time to time, usually only once or twice a year... Um, is I will go by myself, and don't hang with me here, it's not as weird as it sounds, okay? But I will go and I will walk through a cemetery. Back several years ago, we, had a, we were doing a thing called the E2 course, and it was like a nine-month-to-a-year course, and we used to have another little hub office building down at Sugar Creek, and there was a cemetery just up the road. And for one of the classes one night, I had everybody follow me out, and we walked up the road, and we walked through the cemetery. And nobody was allowed to talk. But we just had to walk around and look at the gravestones. And it's something that, again, I'm not trying to sound like dark or weird, but it's something that actually brings me a lot of life. And the reason being is that the Bible says, and I believe it's Ecclesiastes 7.2, that it is better to go down to the house of mourning to the, than to the house of feasting. And to think about it, because this is the end of all men. And the righteous take it to heart. And I say that because in this passage, what we're essentially doing this morning is we're walking through a cemetery. And if you have trusted in Christ, there is a gravestone with your name on it. That if you have trusted in him, in this verse right here it says, you have died with him. Look briefly at the text and let me just show you where I'm getting this. Verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, we were baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore with him, by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him, verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin, verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, verse 11. So you too must consider yourselves dead to sin. Do you understand what what I mean when I say that this passage is like a cemetery? There's death all over the place, and it's good news. It's unbelievably good news, Um, because something had to happen in order for us to be set free from sin. So now, again, I went through the first two points very quickly, hang with me here. But what he just said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. How does he respond to what he just said? He anticipates the question. He says, no, we don't continue in sin that grace may abound because we, we, we died to it. But now he's going to explain his response to what he just said. So, what, so in other words, Paul, what do you mean when you say that we died? Because again, it's, it's past tense. Not just that we will die someday, but that we've already died with Christ. Let's unpack that a little bit. Well... First of all, and here we see the word that uh, you know, we're here for this morning and to celebrate with these folks. It's verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, this idea of baptism, but not just baptism but baptism into his death. Again, look at the language of verse 3. It's very unique language, language that's very unique, especially just to Christianity, that we were, two things, we were baptized into a person. You see that? We were baptized into Christ Jesus. For those of you that attend Marceal, this is what we've been hammering on at the end of chapter 5, our our union where once we were united with Adam and his descendants, and we've been born again, we've now been united with Christ. We've been baptized into Christ Jesus, and we were baptized into his death. Now, this idea of being baptized, there's, there's, there's two words that are similar in the Greek. One is the Greek word that's used here. It's baptizo, baptizo, and then there's another Greek word, uh, bapto, bapto. But they're, and again, they, they kind of have the same root, but they're slightly different. What's really interesting about this is almost every... Greek concordance or dictionary that tries to, to trace the, the you know the original meaning of what these words use. They will go back to a gentleman named Nicander who lived in 200 BC, and Nicander recorded for us, helpfully, um, his process for canning pickles. I'm not kidding. And here's here's the word that he uses um, that's been recorded for us throughout history. But what's helpful about it is that he uses both these words in the same paragraph. And he uses the word bapto, and then the word that's used here, baptizo, okay? And here's here's what he said. In his process of making pickles, he would briefly just dip, just for a second, bapto, and that's the word bapto, his pickles into boiling water, okay? And then, after baptoing the pickles briefly in the the boiling water to sanitize them, he would then, then baptizo, baptizo them, into this vinegar solution that he made. And then he would kind of seal it off. And so what's helpful about it is that both both of these verbs, bapto and baptizo, concern the immersing of vegetables in a certain solution. The first is very temporary, but the second, the act of baptizing, baptizoing these vegetables in the vinegar, it produced a permanent change. That's the point. And so this idea of our union with Him is that we have been immersed with Him. This word baptizo is also used in classical, classical Greek to describe a sinking ship that goes and is submerged and does not come back up. It, it becomes one with the ocean, so to speak. It's there, it's there forever. And this is the idea that at the moment of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, though you may not have known it, and again, if you look at the language here, Look at verse 3. Paul says it again as a question. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Death, He frames it as this question. Do you not know? This is a rhetorical device. to Basically, it's Paul saying, you might not know this, but here's what happened at the moment of your salvation. You were united with Christ. You were submerged into his life. And into his death. And nothing is ever going to change that. This idea of baptism, again, most of you are probably familiar with with this passage in regards to baptism, is that in Luke chapter 3, before Jesus starts his public ministry, God sends John the Baptist out as a forerunner before him and he is baptizing the Israelites, uh, the the nation of Israel, as a baptism of repentance. And the idea was, look, I need to be cleansed. I need someone to save me from my sins. And um, people and, and religious folks of all uh, different backgrounds, were, were coming out to John and seeking to be baptized him. But here's what John said. He says, I baptize you with water. I'm just baptizing you with water. But he says, there is one who is mightier than I who is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And then he says this. He, speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit And with fire. And here's what happens. At the moment of your salvation, though you may not have known it, if you place your trust in Jesus, you are submerged into his death. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there is a part of you that is dead and united with him, but is also then raised to life. And a change has happened from the inside out. There is is a new you. Again, we'll get here, jump down to verse 5 real quick. He says, for now, if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Then verse 6, we know that our old self, who is this old self? This is the old self that was united to Adam, which is everything he's just been talking about in the previous chapter, that we were all once born in Adam, this old self. But if you place your trust in Christ there is a part of you and again we don't have time to get into all the nuance of this and how I believe the Bible teases it out but while we have a body we also have a soul and a spirit. And there's a part of you your spirit that has died with Christ and has been made new and the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. Because you were baptized into his death you were united with him into Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross it was as if you died with him. And there's a part of you that has now been made new. Now, let me though still, because I don't feel like I've accurately answered the question in regards to how this works. So again, go back. What did Paul say? Where sin increased, grace increases all the more. What then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul is emphatic. By no means. Here's why. You died. What does that mean? Here's what it means. I want you to hear me on this, and especially for those of you that are getting baptized this morning. We talked about this at the class on Wednesday evening. Here's what I want you to understand, but for any of you that have trusted Christ, is that the reason we will not continue in sin that grace may abound is because if you have truly been born again into Christ, there will forever be a part of you that will never be at peace with sin. Let me say that again. If you have been born again, united with Christ in his death and in new life, there is now a part of you that will never be at peace with sin. Which is why to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to be submerged, baptized with the Holy Spirit into his death and into his life, and then to continue in an old way of living, you are doing nothing but working against your own joy. And working against what now brings you joy, which is bringing glory to the Father. This is a spiritual reality. It is not just a metaphor. It is something that actually happened inside of you, supernaturally, by the power of God, at the moment of your salvation. And again, Paul is helpful for us. He says, do you not know? And he's saying, you might might not know this, because I don't think many of us do. And it's why we live confused Christian lives. Because we don't realize what happened at the moment of salvation on one level. It's very simple. Again, you've heard me say this many times, but you, you may have raised your hand. You might have prayed a prayer. You might have walked an aisle. You might have knelt, knelt, by, your, knelt by your bed and, and prayed with, a, with, with your mother or with your father. You might have been driving down the road listening to the radio. I don't, it could look like a thousand different ways, but on some level, you just you cried out to Jesus to save you, and he did it. It's very simple, but yet what happened in that moment is completely supernatural and extremely profound. Is that you were united with him, and there's no going back. Um, Everybody that's getting baptized today, most of them, I believe, will be wearing a t shirt that we got them. On the back of that t shirt is this verse from Colossians chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Here's the verse. You have died. You have died. Past tense. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now look back at the text in verse 4. He says, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, so here's the purpose, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's for right now, folks. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this new life that God has for you is right now. Is glory still coming? Will there be a day when sin is completely eradicated? Yes, absolutely. But right now, still, new life for us. He wants us to walk in newness of life. This could only happen through death because the nature of our union with Adam who we were all born into and united with before, the nature of our union with Adam was such that the only thing that could separate us from it was death. And so God provided a way for that to happen through Jesus Christ on the cross as a substitute. That the reason Jesus died on the cross was he died the death that you and I deserved to die. Deserved to die. Deserved to die, because that's what our sin cost. Yet, by grace, through faith, simply looking away from self and to the cross, we are united with him. His death becomes our death. His uh, death becomes our substitute and and our sacrifice that we might walk in newness of life. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, that God desires for you to live a new life? A new life not just someday when you die and go to glory that's going to be even more awesomer double superlative but new life right now when i was in fourth grade i did not want to get glasses because i did not want to look like a nerd i just thought that would be very nerdy to get glasses and so they were doing the little like you know vision and hearing screening at the school you know, I still remember, like, they took us into the music room, and there was an eye doctor or nurse or whatever that had come in. And, you know, they were going to do the little chart thing, you know, with reading the letters and all, and all that stuff. And I was, I, I knew that I couldn't see, but I just, I was like, I'm not getting glasses. Not, I'm not doing it. So my buddy, who was in front of me, who had, like, 20-20 vision, as we're standing in line and getting ready to take our turn, I was like, tell, tell me what the letters are. Just tell me what the letters are. And so I would... <coughs> And so he was he's rattling them off real quick, and I would just repeat them. I had decent amount, I was like, and I would just, and I just memorize. So I get up there, and she'd been asking everybody, like, What's it say on line three? You know, what's it say on line four? And so I just get up, and I, I was just real quick, because I just memorized it. Couldn't see anything. Well, I, you know, got through it, passed the exam or whatever, no big deal. But eventually, I went to my mom being the good mother that she was, took me to the eye doctor. And, uh, and I'll never forget this, is he does the exam and, you know, I didn't have a buddy to help me cheat my way through it. And so I failed pretty badly. And I remember he comes out and goes, does he, does he play any sports? And at that time it was soccer season. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, he does. Like, like right now he's, he's playing soccer. And the guy goes, I don't even know how he can see the goal. And, uh, and so I was busted. <laughs> but anyway, eventually I got glasses. And it was like a whole new world. A whole new life. It, w- it was the same things that I'd seen before. I went back to the same classroom. I still played soccer. I had the same bedroom. I still, you know, my same life. But I was seeing it as though for the first time in a whole new way. And that's what I'm saying, brother sister, that Jesus Christ offers you this morning. Yes, absolutely. The greatest gift, eternal life, that we will spend eternity in heaven with him someday. As we, you go through the book of Romans, Paul is going to talk about that. I'm not minimizing it at all. I'm just saying that's not primarily what he's talking about right here in this passage. What he's saying here in this passage is that there is a new life for you to live now because he wants to give you new eyes to see in a way that you've, that you've never seen before. Another way Paul describes this new life is he describes it as, and he uses comparison and contrast between being enslaved or being set free. So again, he says in verse 5, If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin would be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, here's the word, enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died, and who is that? That's us. Anyone who's believed in Jesus. That we'd no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died in Christ has been set free from sin. Is that there's a freedom that he now wants us to walk in that is no longer where once we were like slaves in Adam to sin and death and the devil. We have now been set free through death. Um, I use this illustration with the guys that are getting baptized on Wednesday night at the class, but sometimes you'll, if somebody has wronged you very badly, or somebody has wronged somebody very badly, you might hear that person say, they're dead to me. They're dead to me now. Again, I'm not saying that's necessarily right, we should forgive, blah, 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 but The point is here is that this is the idea. Is it to sin? It's dead to us. Why? Because we died to it. Here's what he's saying. Is that not only, and we've talked a lot about this as we've gone through the book of Romans so far, not only in justification is our sin forgiven. Not only are we we forgiven from sin's penalty, but in what he's talking about here, we have also been freed from its power. That yes, temptation is still real. Yes, we still sin and we we will have to fight that battle until the day that we die or Jesus comes back and we go on to glory. But we have been freed from its power, brother and sister, because greater is he who is in us than he who's in the world. That's what the Bible says. And we have been set free from sin and its penalty. In Hebrews chapter two, this is a very, I just, I feel like these two verses, Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, they just don't get enough press. They should be right up there with John 3.16 and Romans three, uh, three 3.23 and Romans 6.23. It's just, just wonderful. It says this. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, in other words, since we're human, since we have bodies, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things he took on a body. And then he says this. That through death, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That that for all our lives, we, we had to live in fear because of sin, because of condemnation, because of the guilt that wasn't just pretend, it was real. We really are sinful and we really do need a Savior. So what are we going to do when we die? What are we going to do when we step into eternity? Jesus came and took on that death, went through death, was raised to life, and where the devil once used to stand with condemnation and accusation about look at what you've done. This is what you've done. This is who you are. There's no way to be made right with God. Jesus comes. He takes the death. He takes the penalty. He goes into the grave. He comes back out and he offers salvation to anyone who will simply believe. And when we believe in him, Death, the devil, sin, destruction, darkness, it loses its grip. Because we have already been baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death, and we have passed through it. I've shared this story before, but I can't think of a better illustration from the Bible. You guys know the story of Lazarus, who was dead for four days, and then Jesus came, and has the resurrection and the life, he said, roll away the stone, he raised him from the dead. And then, one of my favorite verses, uh, and by favorite I mean it's a weird verse, but it's cool that it's in there, is that after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, in, that's in John chapter 11, in John chapter 12, um, they're throwing a party for Jesus, and Lazarus is there, and so, you know, picture Lazarus, like, you, you were dead for four days, like, I don't even know what that would be like, like, you're dead for four days, and then you're back, and you're at a party with Jesus, and you're like, sweet, you know, um, and... <laughs> And it says that the, the Pharisees and the religious rulers, they're all bent out of shape about it, and so they were scheming, they were plotting, listen, to not only kill Jesus, but to also kill Lazarus. I mean, that's, that's dumb, okay? In case you're not getting like, this guy just raised, was just raised from the dead and your plot is to kill him? Like, what, what's that gonna do? But here's the point, it's like, if you're Lazarus, if you've already died... <laughs> And Jesus raised you and you're raised and somebody said, I'm gonna kill you. You're like, Okay. Bring it, I guess. I don't know. I'm like Lazarus was free. He was he was free from threat. When sin comes knocking at our door, the devil comes bringing accusation, talking about, what we've, talking about what we've done. Brother and sister, in Christ Jesus, we have been set free. Because where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, and there is no other answer. And do not fall into the trap, Christian, of being saved by grace and trusting God for your eternal life but thinking that the way you live the rest of this life is in your own strength and in your own power and by your own works and by your own effort. That's not the way it works. But it's a battle. We want to revert back to that. This is the whole story of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is that God came in with a mighty, mighty right hand and an outstretched arm and he destroyed the most powerful kingdom of that day, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And he brings them out, and we don't have time to look at all this, but it's actually pretty cool language, is that he brings them out through the Red Sea, and Paul refers to that as a type of baptism. Just what we're talking about here today, again, not just water baptism, but, but spirit baptism, and it's a picture of that. And he brought them through death, so to speak. I mean, the seas parted, this, you know, this isn't the way it's supposed to work, but the seas parted, they walk through it, they survive, but the enemy is drowned in the sea afterwards. And though Pharaoh and his army had once enslaved them for years, they were now free. Why? Because the enemy had been defeated. He was drowned in the midst of the sea, and yet as they went on, crazy, crazy story, but we do the exact same thing. There is a time where they're out and they're afraid. But instead of trusting God, believing that they'd been united with him, that the enemy had been defeated, they actually said, let's just go back to Egypt. Let's just go back to how we once lived. Let's just go back to what we once knew. Because they feared that the God who had already saved them was not going to continue to save them. And we do the same thing. And that's why this passage matters, that we have been united with him, and we've been brought to new life those of you that are getting baptized, you can get up, you can go back and get changed. Uh, Where I told you, and I'll begin to wrap up here. But men and women, I, I want you to know that what Christ has done, His act on the cross, the power of God that raised him from the dead. It doesn't just make all the difference for your eternal life after you die, but it makes all the difference in your life here and now for how we are to live. Again, we don't have time to look at all the details here, but just jump ahead to verse 11. Jonas is going to be unpacking verse 11, 12, 13, 14 next week for us a little bit more, but just look at verses 10 and 11. Speaking of Christ, in verse 10, it says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So for, and then verse 11, So you also must consider or count. And for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, back in, back in chapter 4, there was this idea of count or counted, how God counted us dead and sin. Here, it's, it's the same word. They just translated it here in English as consider instead of count. But you too must count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That he wants us to live a whole new life, to believe it. To go forward in our union with him every single day. And again, there is, there is a part of us that it will never be at peace with sin if you've trusted Christ. It is never going to be at peace with sin. Um, there's a hymn called there is a fountain filled with blood and again you just I I was thinking this past week like if you're not familiar with what it's talking about and you don't know Jesus and you just hear that title you might be oh what what in the world are they talking about but man how precious this is and again for everyone that we're about to watch here in a few minutes go under the water and come back up I I just want to read these verses I won't sing them. You're welcome. But I just want to read these verses. It says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there, my, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. Till all the ransomed ones of God be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, Redeeming love has been my theme, and it shall be till I die. And it shall be till I die. That's how we live this Christian life, the same theme. And the last verse, verse 5, says this. And when this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As we close. For each one of you, right now, in the quietness of your own heart, I I would just be wrong to not ask you this question Have you, not the person in front of you, beside you, behind you, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? alone for salvation? Have you been born again? Have you died and been raised with Christ? Is there newness of life in you? Do you know that if you died today that you would go to heaven? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit? Has your heart tasted of his love? Are you uncertain about where you will spend eternity, let alone how you will get through the days and months ahead? There is one answer. His name is Jesus. There is power in His name. There has been power in His name for 2,000 years, ever since He came up out of the tomb. He still lives, seated at the Father's right hand, to seek and save the lost. And if you will just call upon him, even right now where you sit, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the promise of the word of God. There is nothing you can do to add to it. You have been set free, not only from sin, but you have been set free from man-made religion and from bondage of rules and regulations that do not bring life. So I ask you again, do you know Jesus? And I invite you to trust Him right now where you sit. Heavenly Father, I thank You for today. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the new life that You died to bring about in us. We thank You for the simplicity of the gospel, but we also thank you for the miracle of salvation and the supernatural realities that take place inside our, our heart when we, when we trust you. So Lord, I pray that you would draw many to yourself here today. I pray that you would let these folks know your love. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.